0: And was check The puck's out there for a moment now. York is shot. Score! Ken York's first in the natural. And it's 2-1 Philadelphia.
1: This is episode 87 of the Liberty L. Danny Deemer here with Chris Stombo. As always, how are you, buddy? Dude, I'm doing great. 7-3-2. Seven, 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 two. Two. I expected our first in-season episode to, to, to not be
0: as good of energy as this one. Yeah. But here we are. No, no, I'm excited for this one. I mean, if you would have told me we we would have started out seven, three, and two. Hasn't been the prettiest of hockey. And I know, you know, we'll definitely get into our feelings about seven, three and two, despite them not looking the best. Um but yeah, I mean seven three and three, seven, three, and two is seven three and two no matter which way you put it, so uh I mean I'll take that over three seven and two, you know what I mean? So it's nice. It's nice to see them winning. It's nice to see Hart be Carter Hart and do what he has done to start this season. I mean, we'll definitely get into him. But, yeah, I mean, it's just, like you said, it's nice to sit here and talk about a win and not sit here and complain about a Chuck Fletcher, like we said before record, or any of the moves that he made this offseason. It's, it's nice to sit here and actually be positive about the Flyers for once in the last, what, six months, <laughs> I feel like it's been. And I think it partially has
1: something to do with the fact that our expectations were just so low coming into this season. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're getting outshot. Yeah, they're getting outchanced. Maybe if this was a different year where we had higher expectations, we'd be like, oh, this, this record is it's fugazi. It's not going to last. But, mm-hmm. like, we might as well just enjoy the ride while we're here because no. no one projected us to be shit, not even us. So we might as well just enjoy the ride, see how as far as it goes.
0: I mean, like I just got done saying, I mean, watching Hart do, do what he's been doing for the last since the start of the season has been nothing short of amazing. I mean he's fourth in the NHL in goals against with a nine a one nine seven. Um, and like the two guys in front of him, uh Jake Ottinger, he's number one. He has seven games played. But Billy Savage. Savage. I mean he was unreal in the playoffs last year and he's just starting where he left off. Uh, but Kevin Lankinen, he has on one nine one, but he only has four games played, and he's third ahead of Hart. So I mean, technically, in my eyes, Hart is third in the league in goals against the average because the guy in front of him only has four games. Hart has double that, eight games. So I mean, he's just top five in goals against average. He's top five in save percentage. I mean, it's just—he's you know what? I would, what? On, sir. No, go ahead, go.
1: What I would like to see in comparison to those other goalies is the amount of games he was just trailing in. Or this, that, and the other. (laughs) Or or his team outshot the other team. Like Ottinger's team outshot the other team. Which isn't happening for Carter Hart. Like he's winning in spite of getting outchanced every night. Which, I mean, he hasn't lost a game in regulation yet. And he started eight games. It's unreal. His numbers look like his Everett Silver Tip numbers (laughs) that we used to post on our our account back in the day.
0: I know. I'm pretty sure that Blues game was the first game of the year that we outshot the other team. That could be false. But I'm pretty sure that's the first game we've outshot a team. I mean, first
1: t- or at, at like maximum second, <laughs> maximum second, absolute
0: ceiling second game. Yeah, I mean the Ranger game, 36 to 19 shots the Rangers. I mean that's just incredible. I don't know how it, that game. Carter ended Hart stole nothing. a point in that one. Stole. A he
1: point. just stole a point straight up.
0: And then the next game, that was a back-to-back. I know, but the shots were 44-25 Toronto in that game. Um, and like you've said before, uh, other than the Toronto and what was the other game that we weren't in at all?
1: Toronto um, and the San Jose, San Jose game. game. Which led to the benching that since that benching, yes, team's been better.
0: Team has been better. And that was the game that Hayes and me both got benched, correct?
1: Yeah, third period.
0: And... I, I know that Hayes has, has the points to back it up, but I mean, I, I really haven't been that impressed with his play. I, I really think Konechny, since that benching, has been double the player that Hayes has been. I mean, Konechny's so noticeable on the ice this year. It, and he looks like his he's back to his uh, 2019 2020 self again, which, I mean, if that's if that's the case, huh, look out. I mean, 80, 70 plus points at this point. I mean, if, he, if he's really back to that kind of Travis Konechny. He's been awesome to watch this year.
1: I was very curious to see his response to that because leading up to the benching, we were saying, like, coming into the season, TK looks good and he's, he's talking like a captain. Yeah. And so when he got benched, I was like, all right, this is a real test to see how he handles this. And he passed it with flying colors. He went right to the media and said, I didn't play well enough. He took complete accountability and since then has, has still been playing hard every single night. Yeah, I mean, he has and- been.
0: I mean, Derek posted uh, an an article today after Torst's comments about the leadership that Kenechny brings. And, I mean, Kenechny's currently shooting at 13.2%. That's right in line with his 2018-2019 season. Um, He has a career high of a 17% shooting. But, I mean, the fact that he's shooting right in line and where he was a couple of years back is is good to see. Um, I mean, he's not only passing the eye test. And if you go and look at all these heat maps and and all, all that stuff, if you will. Um, and he, he's passing that test as well. So, I mean, he's just easily been the most noticeable player other than Carter Hart on this team to start out, without a doubt.
1: Carter Hart makes goaltending fun to watch. He yeah. really does. Like, there has never been a point in my life as a Flyers fan where I've been like, I enjoy watching goaltending. <laughs> but right now I do. I really do.
0: I mean, as a Flyers fan, you would have absolutely no reason to say no that. No reason up. to, yeah. I mean, my favorite goalie growing up, we're, we're, like, Marty Buran, uh, Ma- Marty Buran. I-, I always butcher his last name, I don't know why. And then, uh, and Terry Nanamaki, Those were like my two guys growing up, and they weren't like... Dude, I like Steve
1: Mason, like, yeah, he the, was the underrated. pickings are
0: slim. Yeah, he was very underrated for a very long time here. Well, whatever happened to him? He left Philly and then like, disappeared. Yeah. He left and went to, um, where did he go? Columbus, right? No, I think he came from Columbus, he did originally.
1: Com- yeah, yeah, and then right. he went to Winnipeg or something.
0: What's up when I was always getting players from Columbus? Jake, Steve Mason. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's definitely players. a relationship there. Cam Atkinson.
1: It feels like we deal with the same, like, five teams. For, <laughs> I know. Like, Especially... the, pr- the Predators, the, yeah, the Blue Jackets.
0: <laughs> and then, like, Washington is always a uh, Washington's always good for, like, an August trade. Like, like a go, depth rah- trade, yeah. yeah <laughs> like
1: a, like a six-round pick
0: <laughs> for, like, a depth player. Yeah, for, like, a, a, an AHL third-pair defenseman. Always good for that in, like, August Uh, But to go back on players who have been impressive, Tony D'Angelo has been been a guy that's been really, really noticeable. And and not only has he been good himself, but he's completely turned Ivan Provorov's game around and back to what we knew Ivan Provorov could do. But now he's actually doing it again, which is nice to see. But that's thanks to Tony D'Angelo. I mean, I joked about you a couple days ago. I mean, he's... 26-year-old Matt Niskanen, but a little bit better offensively is what they found. I mean, he's just an extremely good hockey player back there. He really is. And he's not as bad defensively as everyone said he was. I mean, I, from what you heard in the off-season about this guy defensively, despite him playing on Carolina's top defensive unit last year when they were Stanley Cup contenders on a Rob Brennemore team, you would have thought this guy was like Andrew McDonald defensively, which he's nothing. Like, Shane no, Goss
1: despair. Like, Shane Goss despair has clearly scarred this city. <laughs> and because the lazy narrative for every offensive defenseman now is they're just labeled as defensive liabilities. Like, I just think that's so lazy. It's case by case, man. Like, yeah, some of them are, but some of them, some of them, the best offense is a great defense. And the fact of the matter is with Tony D'Angelo, when he gets the puck, it leaves the fucking zone. Yeah. So he's not sitting there throwing grenades off the glass. Yeah, Three different attempts.
0: Derek tracked his game against, I think it was either Ottawa or the Rangers game, and he had 40-plus puck touches, and I don't know, I think he had like one, two turnovers or something like that. His puck, he's never bouncing it off the glass. He's never lofting it up and out of the zone. He's always, always finding a pass, finding a seam, making a move in the corner to get a nice opening lane. I mean, he's just extremely impressive back there. I mean, he's just a puck-moving defenseman is exactly what – you need next to Provorov because Provorov likes to roam. He's a ro- he's a rover. That's like that's what he is. I mean, it's when when he's at his best. Provorov. I mean, I I, I tweeted it uh, last night. No, t- two nights ago. Provorov covered like three zones of the ice in about eight seconds, and that's when I looked at myself and I was like, okay, this guy might be back, back, back. Because I mean, that's vintage Ivan Provorov, just hovering the entire ice in like ten seconds. It was really, really, really fun to watch.
1: So it's clear he needs a fiery partner that can move the puck in order to completely activate him. And I think the Niskanen comparison is accurate because not only does he have the the on-ice ability that Niskanen has, but he does have that off-ice fire that I've talked about. Like, the guy's just a gamer. Like, he's a guy in the playoffs that I want in the corners, getting aggressive, responding to maybe a cheap shot
0: last period that other team laid <laughs> i mean he's already gotten himself into trouble a couple of times after the whistle uh, yeah. getting and mad like,
1: that and that like that's gonna be a part of it right like people are gonna be annoyed with him going too far at times and maybe getting a penalty here or there but i really think it does something for the identity of the team to have a guy like that on the back end i really do
0: absolutely 100 percent. i mean having a guy who's not the biggest guy in the world but it, well, he's, he's, he's he's willing punch, a yeah, he's yeah. willing to punch somebody in the face if he's too close to Carter Hart, which I like. I mean he's just been an impressive add to the hockey team. He's a good hockey player. So I mean it's been it's been fun to watch him. What are your thoughts on Faraby? Uh
1: well he started slow, which was expected, uh coming back from that injury, he didn't have a training camp. But ever since then, he's he's been really solid. I mean, he hasn't really jumped off the page. The points have came um he had that one amazing shot against uh what team was that toronto i believe where he went off the bar and in so I, yeah it looks like he's he's starting to come along nicely here farabee's issue has always been consistency so it's just a matter of him keeping this going from here on out really that's really what i'm gonna be looking for in joel farabee like he's a he's a big part of this team now like he got yeah. paid the old is ushered out or injured and uh, he should be one of the producers. And so far, he, he's he's playing well.
0: I mean, you also got to take into consideration the injury that he had. Yeah, of course. And uh, the time that it'll probably take to him to get back to 100%. But, yeah, I mean, he's been – I don't think he's been bad. I don't think anybody on this team has been – I mean, I don't think you can look at anybody on the roster and be like, you've been – actively bad, actively hurting the team. Even, like, Zach McEwen has been playing his role well. I mean, Sedlak has been one of my favorite players they've picked up in a really long time. Like, it's Tyler Pitlick reincarnated with him. Yeah, he's Um, he's got all the tools, dude. He really does. And he's, uh, you said it best a couple nights ago. He is the perfect bottom sixer to have on a playoff-type team. I mean, he is fast. He battles. He goes to the hard areas, the dirty areas. I mean, he's just an extremely good, just gritty hockey player. Um, and he's a good P- uh, PK guy too. So I mean, it's just the whole uh, the whole package with him. I mean, it's an extremely impressive waiver wire pickup. I know, I know me and you always joke about waiver wire pickups and stuff like that, but I mean, he's been extremely impressive. Um, yeah, so. I constantly
1: see myself saying like, "What a shift!" Yeah, or just imp- like him popping out on my screen. Yeah, honestly.
0: Doesn't do anything crazy. Doesn't have a ins- high skill, or is not gonna deke anybody out of their shoes or anything. I mean, out of their skates or anything like that. But I mean, just a solid hockey player that's gonna do the dirty work, get in on the forecheck. Um, and yeah, it's, it's 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 nice to watch. It, re- it really is. He's he's been fun.
1: So here we sit with a seven three and two record, but with a goal differential of plus four. Um. Be honest. Do you see this trend continuing? Like, where what is your realistic expectation going for? Because they have kind of set the bar of you're going to get a good hockey game to watch every night.
0: Yeah, I I, I think that's going to continue. Whether it, whether that continues to, to to winning is another conversation. But I mean, I think before we even. Started the season, we, we and mean, you have been on this podcast multiple times talking about, we just want to watch them compete. Whether they lose or win is another thing, but we just want to watch a good hockey game where it doesn't look like they don't give a shit, and it doesn't look like they stop playing. Um, and that's what we've gotten. And I, Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's exactly what we're going to continue to see. And I also think they know that they're leaving their goalies out to dry. I mean, Lawton's commented on it a couple times, multiple times. Torts keeps saying, even today, he was like... Yeah, some guys are are practicing well, doing the right things, but I mean, we're nowhere even close to where we need to be. Um, so I, mean, I yeah, I I think we can continue to see this 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 hard work. Um, never sixty minutes of play every night. I mean, and that that's what a twerch team is. But I don't think they're going to keep winning. Uh, seven three and two is an extremely good start. Uh, the Blues should have had multiple goals uh, that hit the post in that game. So I mean, they've had puck luck. They've had guys shooting and. With crazy percentages right now, I'm pretty sure Tippett's shooting at like 17 percent right now. I mean, he's going to come down from that. So yeah, it's fun, like like you said, watching Hart yeah. doing watching Hart doing what he's doing. Um, with seven three and two, 7 three and two. No matter which way you put it, I get. We that, scored the
1: first goal twice. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Like it's if nuts. you think that's a far cry from last year, it really is. Last year, if 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 we were 12 games in. And we only scored the first goal in the game twice. Our record would would be bad. It would be really
0: bad. Yeah, it would would definitely be bad. But, I mean, like we said, Hart is the only thing on this team, only player on this team that could really catapult them into a, a playoff spot. Like, if he really can drag them into a playoff position, I mean, that would be nice, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, if there was a guy, like you said, it's him, and from what we're seeing through eight, it could happen who knows i mean the expectation obviously isn't playoffs but yeah if carter Hart keeps doing what he's doing and the team starts to improve play and maybe it's not as uh big of a different shot differential every night who knows man maybe they could trend the right way maybe get cam Agasson back saw him skating today that's a good sign Um
0: yeah it was cool to see him back there i mean i don't think he's going to be back for uh Play anytime soon. I'm I'm pretty sure he's uh, dealing with something. Nah, Um, yeah, but but skating's a big step, right? No, definitely. Yeah, and and like a lot of players today were saying it's nicest to see him. Like just for him to be back out on the ice in front of the boys is is good for morale, I think. Especially because I mean they love that uh, accent. He's a great locker room guy. He's a great pro. Like Tortorella said. So yeah, it's it's good to see him in flyers uniform again because i mean let's <laughs> a little worried there for a little bit then oh me
1: too just because of the it was so vague like there was no clarity on the situation at all and yeah. those are usually the scariest like with ryan ellis yeah like it's just day no. to day day to day day to day and then suddenly he's gone
0: see that's the thing now Dan. that's the thing now with in, in in flyers land where any injury that happens especially with the new rules in the nhl this lower body upper body shit Nobody knows whether it's a five day injury or whether your career is done. Like it's it's, it's, it's insane. It, it's I was just thinking about it the other day and the fact that we're still like it, that was a bubble thing that we were dealing with. With that, and uh, now that we're still dealing with it now, is so annoying. Like I'm, I'm not asking you to give me the full fucking description of the injury. Like, I'm not asking you to see the fucking lab results. But I mean, like goddamn, dude. Like it, anything, the- <laughs> anything. Like, is he alive? Yeah, good. Is, is he, he in the facility? Yes, exactly. Is he in? <laughs> is he in Philadelphia? Like, did he go back home to like Columbus? Like, I, is he cool? I mean, I, I mean, it's extremely annoying. This this entire whatever the NHL has been doing, it's been really really annoying. But um, we do have a special guest today. Uh, I know we had TMS tie my skates pod on last episode, but. Um, this time it's just one person. It's not a whole crew, even though that was fun, Dan. Oh, that was
1: a great time. We got, definitely got to link up with the Tie My Skates boys again at some point in this season because oh, we, sure. made, we made some early predictions. that uh, <laughs> I think we all predicted the Flyers to start a little slow too, so yeah, that one's already wrong. But we here got an NHL correspondent for the fourth period, co-host of Brotherly Pods, Stick the Hockey Pod, and Wrestling Audio. He's a Flyers Twitter staple, Anthony <laughs> DeMarco.
2: Hey boys, what's going on? Thanks for having me.
1: What's up, man? Thanks for coming on, man.
2: Ah, uh, anytime. time. Uh, you guys have really been uh, spitting fire on your account, uh, so it's uh, really nice to be here, I gotta say.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had to get that Risto tweet out. I had to look him, know. <laughs> I, mean, he's, I mean, we haven't really gotten into him yet. We were just... Danny, who were we just talking about? Why am I blanking right now? Cam, Cam Mackinson. Yeah, we were just talking just about Cam. Seeing him skate. Him being back today, skating around was nice to see. Um, but we haven't gotten into Risto, and... He's another guy that Torts has sat for a game and has, has disciplined. So, I mean, the response from Risto last game, in my opinion, was his best game as a flyer, arguably. I mean, I thought he was fantastic last game. I don't know about you guys. I,
2: I mean, Risto, I think, is a guy that came here, obviously, as a very polarizing player, came here in a way that a lot of of people i guess were already prepared to hate the guy like how many players have you ever seen come into a city and then right off the bat people are just just primed to hate on the guy right away and they gave up a big haul to get him and i think they came into this season thinking that he was going to play a certain way with with travis sanheim and obviously he misses a large portion of training camp he misses a large portion of the beginning of the season and he played like garbage let's be honest here i don't know if this is a pg show or not or if i could swear but he played like absolute crap and you know he was a guy that deserved to sit he's a guy with a lot of expectations and to your point he responded well i liked how he verbally responded too and it's just another guy who's been challenged by john tortorella who in my opinion has responded in a very positive way much like we saw travis connect a couple weeks back
0: First of all, you can absolutely curse on this show. It's free will, free free, <laughs> free reign on this pod. But no, no, I, I absolutely agree. I think Risto's verbal response, I think everybody's verbal response to what Torch has done this year has been positive, whether it's Frost getting benched and his response a couple of days ago, Risto Lina's response, Hayes, Konechny. I mean, Konechny's been the best player on the team since he got benched in that San Jose game, so... Like you said uh, what torts has brought here the accountability so early early on in the season it's been nice to see so far
2: yeah and i think that was something that was missing you know yeah. when you hear keith yandel go on spin chicklets and talk about how he had a fantastic time last year in philadelphia like hey that's great and all guys but uh you guys sucked ass you know so I, yeah. it's not really encouraging that you guys had a great time and that you were all just happy to be together, like the the Hayes Club <laughs> with Yandel and Atkinson and all that. And look, uh, Taurus came in here because I think a lot of people felt a little too comfortable on the team. Like, I, I forget who said it. I think it was actually Charlie O'Connor when he appeared on a podcast a couple of weeks ago. I believe it was The Athletic Show. Where people took Tortorella's comments as like, oh, I have major concerns about the room as like everyone hates each other. Everyone's like at each other's throats. But I think it's on the contrary that everyone was just a bit too relaxed. Like, you know, I I was I spoke with Danny Briere before the season started to do a preseason interview. And he mentioned a lot about body language as something that needed to change. And I think as much as it's weird to say when you're talking about nhlers i think this was back to getting back to basics for this team and learning how to respond to criticism and learning to respond to critiquing and even a guy like ivan provrov you know someone who a lot of the team a lot of the fan base rather was ready to run out of town after last season specifically after his media availability to close the close the year and I think that he's been excellent. I think he's been their, their best defenseman. Obviously, room to improve. I think that for what they need him to be, he could still do more in the way of play driving and all that. But I think that just across the board, there's been very few players this season that on an individual basis I've had problems with.
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think me and Danny just got done saying, I don't think there's anybody on this team that you can point to and be like, you've been actively bad this season so i mean you've had guys that have been iffy like the frost is and those guys but i mean nobody has really been really really bad to the point where like you're noticing it on a nightly basis if that makes sense so i agree definitely
2: yeah and when you when you look at how much money and i and i spoke about on my podcast today on brotherly pod that they have about 25 million dollars out with injury right now so imagine if you dropped and i use this example of like forget the players that are out that are making that cumulative salary with ellis and, and atkinson and jvr imagine if you dropped 25 million dollars worth of players on this team right now or let's just say 23 because obviously we know they would be right up against the cap so let's shave off two million dollars for some breathing room if you drop two forwards let's say with a combined impact of 23 million dollars like let's just say i always use this example maybe because i'm up in canada of marner and matthews you just drop them on this team and you remove the two worst forwards it makes a big difference you know like imagine you add like a a top end center a top end winger to this group of team and you push Hayes down a notch you push connect down a notch You give maybe Joel Farabee another set of players to play with aside from, let's say, more bottom six meat and potatoes guys like Allison and Scott Lawton. Like, I think it changes a lot. And I think when you consider how much money isn't playing right now for this team, it's pretty impressive where they've gotten to. And look, I'll, the majority of that is in is because of Carter Hart and his elite level goaltending. There's a case to be made that he's been the best goaltender in the NHL this year. A lot of it has to do with opportunistic scoring earlier in the season. Obviously, the last two games has been better, by the way, the process. But it still is impressive to be 7-3-2 and two when you have $25 million sitting on the sidelines.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, me and Danny were just talking about how you. I mean, you have a one C, you have a one right-handed defenseman te- uh, potentially both sitting. You have a top six winger in Akesson not playing. Patrick Brown's a good bottom six guy, but like yeah, like you said, I mean, there's just so much money sitting on this island right now, and the fact that they're still putting up good, good games. I and mean, Danny just guys I'm talking about in the beginning of the podcast. Not not only have they been winning, but I mean, they've been competing. And, I mean, that's so, something that's been so much different from last year. I mean, just they're staying in games. They're staying competitive. They're not letting a 2 nothing deficit get them down. Yeah, they've only scored first twice. Yeah, and they're 7-3-2. and two. So, I mean, that's been a big positive that Tortorella has brought. And I, I don't even think it's been a structural thing with Tortorella because, I mean, he really doesn't really care for systems per se. But I think he's just brought – the level of accountability—I mean—that that word's been thrown around so so much on Twitter lately, the last couple of months. But I mean, it's true. I mean, he's really stepped in here and not really changed anything structurally. I mean, they're still getting outshot um, by thirty, still allowing thirty-plus shots a game. Um, High-danger shots haven't been as bad as last year, but they're still there. But I mean, the accountability that he's brought to this team already—seven, three, and two—it's uh, it, it's, been—it's been nice. It's—it's it's, it's a nice change of pace for sure
2: yeah and like you said there's no individual scapegoats that everyone no. has tried to jump on like last year you know you had keith yandel who was a disaster you had ivan provrov who wasn't very good you had a like even travis connect who's been kind of a whipping boy and i'm guilty of that too i have not been impressed with Travis Connectney <laughs> since the bubble by so any stretch uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's just like when you when you have to call things objectively you have to be consistent as well and i'll say like travis Connectney has really impressed me do i I think that he's like a top-line winger that a lot of people still think he is. I don't think so, just because I don't think he's that great defensively. But for a five- and a half-million-dollar winger, he's been everything and more that you've asked for this season. And I have no problem with Travis Konechny if this is the way he plays. It's much like when Danny Briere was a player with the Flyers and people used to complain and bitch about his defensiveness. I'm just like, you know, I don't give a crap if he's kind of like like, uh, aimless out there in his own zone because he's smashing in 30 goals a year and he's the best player in the league when the playoffs roll around. So if this is what Travis Konechny is, I don't really care. But like you were saying, is that this year as much as it sounds like almost you're coaching like a bantam team it was getting back to basics and just learning to play the right way and then the wins were going to come after that and that's what we've seen like it's been very back to basics showing effort having accountability not quitting and like you said they have been getting outshot they have been crushed in terms of possession and expected goals and chances for and against and all that but at least it's not like in years past where you had like those backdoor plays where Hart has no chance, all those chances from the high slot. It's more in the way of the volume of chances that they're getting as opposed to the quality, quantity over quality. And you have to reduce the quantity that they're giving up. But it is still encouraging to see that they are limiting the amount of high danger chances in on mass that we were used to in the past two seasons.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can agree with that because, I mean, I would rather try to fix a team giving up quantity over quality. Trying to change a team giving up quality chances in the slot is a lot harder to, to, to change than it is, it is with quantity. So, I mean, if they can cut down these shots on goal by, like, five, six shots a game, I mean, you're really looking at an extremely good defensive system in front of Hart. And, I mean, like, like like you said, it hasn't been like Hart's been standing on his head like he has last year, and he's – Post to post save. It's been like point shots, shots on the wing that he's seeing, and uh, it's been like it's really made a difference. The play in front of him this year has really made a difference. It's been it's been nice to see.
2: It has been, and like there's things that we can nitpick, and like there's certainly something to be said that the defense has to help more in the way of play driving. Obviously, their underlying numbers don't jump off the page, but when I look at the reason why the Flyers defend so much it's because their forwards aren't good enough. And I feel bad saying that because I do, I like most of their forwards on an individual basis. But collectively, they're not good enough to sustain the puck enough and sustain offensive zone type. So their defense, especially earlier in the season, like I remember, like the game against the Rangers last week, like I felt like they were always defending. Always. Like they were always on their heels. And when I watch guys like Provov and D'Angelo play, who I think that them collectively as a unit has meant a whole lot to this team. Like, if you take Carter Houd- Hart out of it, I think between D'Angelo, Provov, and Connectney has probably been, like, their three MVPs. Connectney, with his recent play, has probably kind of, like, came out ahead with those guys. But when you look at how much this defense is all the time on their heels, although it's been better recently, it's bound to happen that you're going to start bleeding chances. When you're defending all the time, it's really really tough and especially that they've been trying some new things like recently they've or since the beginning of the season more is that they've been really trying to make travis sanheim the defensive zone minute eater and yeah. starting a lot in his own end the shutdown guy and you saw that article on daily Faceoff, i believe it was last week where among five nhl executives who were pulled they had travis sanheim ranked the fifth best shutdown d in the nhl so it's clear that Sean and Tortorella are really trying to lean on Sanheim to be that guy to take those tough D-zone starts away from Provov and D'Angelo. The problem is, the guy who's supposed to be beside him has played like dog shit save for one game this year. So it's kind of been a bit of an adventure on that second pair of times. Also because Sanheim, I don't think, has played up to snuff. I don't think yeah. he's as bad as a lot of... Flyer's Twitter would suggest, but even Tortorella said there's more there to give. He he has to be more consistent. But when you're playing beside Justin Braun all the time, they've tried Igor Zamula there. Obviously, Risto's the ideal guy there. I can understand why Sandheim's game has been inconsistent a bit. But I think as a whole, that defensive group really hasn't worried me a whole lot. It's more to do with the forwards learning to have more possession with the puck and sustain more offensive zone time.
0: I mean, that's the main thing with this team. I mean, they're not going to dominate offensive zone time. So, I mean, they're going to be defending a lot. So, that's what we've been seeing to start this season at least. I mean, hopefully that can get better because, I mean, like you said, Tortorello has called out Sandheim saying that he could use his legs a lot more than he has. And it's true. Like he, I, I really haven't been that impressed with Sandheim this year, regardless of the Risto situation. I don't think Sandheim himself has played well. Um, but, I mean, regardless of the points, I don't really care about the points. I'm not going to point to yeah. that. Um, but in terms of just play, defensive play, neutrals are in play, I mean, he's supposed to be a puck-moving defenseman, and he has not moved the puck well at all to start this season. So, I mean, I think he's going to improve. I think St. A good a good defenseman. I think he's a solid middle-pairing defenseman. I don't think he's as good as some people think, and I don't think he's as bad as some people think. I just think he's in yeah. the middle somewhere. And I think Danny agrees with that, too. I mean, Danny... Me and Danny have agreed on Sanheim for the most part within the last three, four years. I mean, we, we, we've had this guy since I was like 14, I feel like. I actually <laughs> thought he was going to be the odd man out of that,
1: that young decor. I thought he was going to be the one inevitably moved. I mean, that, I mean, with all that happened with the Ellis situation, and that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's um, still a conversation that could be had. What are they going to do about, I mean, whether Ryan Ellis's career is over is another thing. I don't want to throw that out there because it's not confirmed yet or anything like that, but. They're going to have some decisions to make with that defensive core. Because you got York in the shadows. you got Zamula, who's played NHL minutes this year. And I'm not saying York can go and jump up and play top four minutes right now. But, I mean, in the future, they're looking for York to fill one of those top four roles. And are you going to be paying Provarov D'Angelo, Sanheim, Ristolainen, and, and York all in like three, four years? Because York is going to be due a deal soon. So, I mean, it's just not an immediate answer but I mean it's something um, to think about with regarding this season to
1: Anthony's point about the 25 million in dead money it really yeah. starts to get you excited about what this season could be as a launching pad going forward just the the foundation that can be built I mean you have to think JVR's money is going to leave the books yeah hopefully Sean Couturier comes back healthy we'll see what happens with Ellis we hope Ackerson's back before the end of the year um, but it, it's a great foundation even though like you said they're getting out chance they're getting out shot but just the compete level, uh, it's night and day from last year. It really is. It's
0: Are we going to talk ourselves into a, a, the Flyers like squeaking into the playoffs? Is that what we're doing right now?
1: If, if by Christmas this continues, I, I will be on that train <laughs> 100%. But one thing I wanted to ask you guys is Carter Hart has had great opening stretches to a season before. Mm-hmm. But is this the season that he's finally going to hit that form that we all thought he was going to hit because of the Twitterella system and limiting the amount of grade A opportunities and hopefully building that culture
2: well look i've always been a believer in carter hart because i'm a guy who i value a lot i value play a lot when the chips are down and when are the chips down in the playoffs now to be fair have we had a lot of playoff games in philadelphia the last few years obviously not right so it's hard to kind of judge that but i remember the one time carter hart was in the playoffs albeit in the bubble in toronto i thought he was their best player and I thought that he really stood like, stood up and really stepped up, rather. That's a better term to use. And he really went to, he stared Carey Price down the ice and he beat him. And he was the only reason why the Flyers got to seven games against the New York Islanders. And to be honest, that's another reason why I've always been so high on Ivan Provorov. Because I thought Ivan Provorov was their best skater in the 2020 bubble. So in terms of Carter Hart, do I think that he's going to maintain this level of play? Of course not. The way he's playing right now, if he were to sustain it, it would be like a historical season of epic proportions, even more so than we saw Igor Shosturkin do last week, last year. And, you know, aside from Connor Hellebuck, no goaltender who's played at least 10 games or more has... A one uh, what is it uh, over a 1.5 expected goals per 60 or goals saved above per 60 and carter hart right now is almost at a, two expected goals goals saved above expected per 60 as you can tell i'm not very well versed with the analytics yet but i'm getting there <laughs> so the way he's playing right now is almost at historical levels. so do i think that he's gonna maintain this pace of play no but do i think that he could finish with a save percentage in the neighborhood of 925, 930? Absolutely, because I think that when Carter Hart has kind of sustained hockey in front of him, he's a guy that can really, like, elevate his play. But when you see the dysfunctionality that has gone on in Philadelphia the last two years, obviously... The 2021 season where he struggled personally and mentally with all the shutdowns and the restrictions and then the absolute disaster that the team turned into then you go to last season with a long list of injuries especially on the defense the rotating cast of guys behind the bench where you had three different guys coach the PK and the and the defensive unit when John Torchetti joined and you had Nick Schultz there for a bit. Le Perrier was on the bench for a game. Yeah. Just an absolute... It was a clown show back there as far as the coaches went last year, in my opinion. I was opinion. behind the
0: bench at one point, man. I was just...
2: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, uh, they were pretty soon to playing bundy back there even though he hates the franchise <laughs> oh, no. No. <laughs> but all joking aside you know like i think that now that you have some sustainability and consistency behind the bench and the defense as a whole has been healthy for the most part and now carter hart kind of knows what to expect on a game to game basis we're seeing him play very well and exceptional again I don't think he's going to have, what he's at, yeah, like 947 save yeah, percentage right yeah. now? He, like
0: He's currently second in the league with 946.
2: Behind Ottinger or Hellebuck?
0: Yeah, behind Jake Ottinger, yeah.
2: Yeah, so like, obviously, like, that, I don't think those numbers are sustainable. Like, I assume that they're going to come down. But if we're talking being like an upper echelon goalie in the 925, 930 range, yeah. I, I'm a believer in Carter Hart because I think he's proved it on big stages in the past.
0: Like Con- uh, Con- Connor Hellebuck right now is at a nine three eight. I think that's a, a a good number that Hart could stay at if this continues. And I think Anthony, the the, the key word that you use right there was consistency. And I think that's a, a like a real thing that John Tortorella has brought to this team and with Carter Hart. I mean, John Tortorella's first time with a Flyers emblem on his chest with a Flyers shirt on, talking to us, he said the number one thing coming into this that he was going to address was playing in front of Carter Hart. That was the first thing he said, and it's shown. I mean, he's really, really, really fixed. I mean, not all the way, obviously. He they have so much more to do. But, I mean, the consistency, like you said, Hart can expect something every night. Expect one thing every night. Expect his boys to be laying out for block shots every night. And I think that's really, really helped him, is the consistency in front of him, the consistency in coaching with Tortorella. I mean, I think it's been a real 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 help for Hart.
2: yeah for sure and i just wanted to correct one step because obviously i'm no analytics guru in terms of goals saved above expected per 60 i'm on goalies who have played at least five games only Hart, ottinger and hellebuck are over one per 60. so just to cover my basis i don't want the mob coming after me in case <laughs> but but yes i do think that having some consistency in front of you is a big part into having goaltending play at a good and consistent level because i know goaltending is a position that is very isolated and it's probably the easiest one to quantify solely through the numbers but for anyone who's actually played the game there's a big correlation between strong defensive structure and really good goaltending because there's a human aspect into it there's a consistency and you look at like Connor hollebuck who by his standards did not play a good did not have a good year the last year he goes was from a Paul Maurice system, which was very high flying, wheeling, dealing, to now you get Rick Bonus, who is one of the more defensive structured coaches in the NHL. Jake Ottinger, I mean, they go from bonus to Pete DeBoer and I think the is a good structured coach. But at the same time, I think Ottinger is just elevating his play to a very high level, like we saw in the playoffs last year when he had won the best series of the last two decades against the Calgary Flames. And then Carter Hart, you go from you know, two coaching staffs that were kind of the same because Yo got elevated, and then you have Nick Schultz coaching the defense, but then you get John Torchetti in there, and I think Daryl Williams was coaching the D at one point, along with all the injuries they dealt with last year, and it was just a disaster in front of him. Like, I remember I went to the game in the press box, I believe I was in the press box, that uh, you, you had guys like Linus Hogberg playing like on their defense. Like, how do you want a goaltender to string together some consistent games when you have any Tom, Dick or Harry on the back end? And obviously you have Bradshaw and John Tortorella who have some history together back in Columbus. And I think this is the most important guy to get right here because, you know, even the pre-disaster era, like pre-mediocrity era before like 2014, the biggest issue in Philadelphia has been the goaltending. Now they have the goaltending, but they got to get everything else right. But in terms of high-end talent, I think that Hart is the only guy you currently have on your roster who would would qualify as having potential as high-end talent.
0: Yeah, I can agree with that. I mean, me and Danny have been saying over the summer, I mean, Hart is the only guy on this team, in my opinion, that you could look at and be like, okay, this could potentially be a franchise guy at one point in his career. Um, I think that's the only person on this team that you could look at and say. I mean, I think Farabee is a good young player. Um, Cates is impressive. Provorov's Perveroff. but I mean, I think Hart's the only guy you can look at and like, hey, he could drag you to a playoff series if he wanted to. Like, he really could, and he's that good. I mean, like you said, he's the only reason why... Honestly, he's the only reason why they beat the Canadians in that in that bubble. He's the only reason why they, they moved And on. I loved
1: your point about what the, the chips being down because that extends, even to outside the playoffs, like if the Flyers go down 2 nothing in the first period, he, he just seems to really hone it in and lock in and not let up another week one that could be the backbreaker and keep his team in the game when he needs to and um i've really enjoyed watching carter hard through eight
2: yeah and the the whole point about the chips being down like maybe sometimes that's a detriment to me but that's a reason why i've not been a big sean couturier fan since the 2020 bubble Because, and look, I understand that that was a very unique situation. You had to go away from your family. We were, what, three months into COVID. I get all that. But at the same time, because there's such a small sample size of playoff hockey in Philadelphia the last 10 years that you have to use it. It's the only kind of, it's the only example of playoff hockey we can reference unless we go all the way back to 2018 against Pittsburgh. And that's what three coaches and a general manager ago so i don't really think it's fair to go all the way back there or what no it's four coaches or whatever there's been so many coaches here i've lost track but uh, like sean couturier and for that matter claude giroux i thought were really disappointing in that uh, playoffs and i thought that ever since then they had to move on from that group now they moved on from giroux couturier they hitched their wagon too but he hasn't been around for 12 months at this point But then I look at the guys who really stepped up in that playoff series or in the playoffs in general, and the two guys that are still on the roster who really, really impressed me were Provorov and Carter Hart. I think that Hayes had his spurts too, but I think Lawton and Konechny really kind of uh, faded into the shadows as well in those playoffs. So that's why I've always kind of beat the drum of Carter Hart and Ivan Provorov. And look, Ivan Provorov is an elite defenseman in this league. He'll never be an elite defenseman in this league. Hell, there's even questions if he's a number one in this league. But I think he's a guy that when the chips are down, he really elevates his play and shows that he's a really big gamer an ultra competitive guy. But even at that, he doesn't have that ceiling of Carter Hart. So look... Obviously, you look at a guy like Cutter Gauthier, but he's still a ways away. But I know that, and I don't think it's a secret that the Flyers are very, very high on him. And maybe he's that one piece in your system who could develop into that coveted high uh, end talent. But as of right now, the only guy I think you could really dub that as is Carter Hart.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And. I- Another thing, another guy in those playoff series that I was absolutely ready to move on from was Jake Voracek. He had one point in that Islander series, and after that I was completely ready to get rid of him and move on. But I agree, Carter Hart's definitely – I mean, Danny, we, how many times have me and you sat here and said that he is the only player on this team that could be a franchise guy? How many times have we sat here?
1: Oh, countless times. And in the offseason we've said he's the only player we just wouldn't pick up the phone for, everyone else. Yeah willing
0: to listen but he would be the only <laughs> player where you're just hanging the phone up basically as soon as they mention his name for me he's just that good i mean he's still so young too 24 23 how old is this kid 19 like fuck <laughs> <laughs> i mean but, outdueling Kerry price at 21 years old that's it's yeah. insane should have given him a little head bop too like grant did with a uh, gallagher <laughs> was that gallagher he did it to who was it Oh, the head tap? Yeah. Who you, I forget who, who he had That but. was great. I was in a bar screaming when he did that. That was awesome.
2: But- <laughs> well, you are right. Uh, I forget which way you said it, but they would... I got a text the other day that saying that they would trade almost anyone for the right price right now. And I responded with, like, I assume that the one guy that you wouldn't trade is Carter Hart, right? And it wasn't a yes or a no but I was led to believe that wink, wink, nod, nod, that's exactly what it is. And I think that there's some guys on this team that they would rather not. And I look, like I know like how many times have the fans trade Kinect near Provrov the last 12 months? It feels like every second day you have a connect near Provrov trade. But I, I asked about those guys fairly consistently over the last six months, and the response I always got is that it doesn't behoove us to trade these guys because of where their value is right now. Now, both those guys have bounced back in massive ways. Like, in terms of last season to this season, are there any two players who have bounced back better than Konechny and Provarov? I'll ask you guys.
0: Uh, you can make an argument for Tippett. I think, if not better, he's been playing almost the same as last year, but the pucks are going in now. But, I mean, yeah, those are the two guys that Yeah, that's got to be my top two. Would be, um, would be those two, Konechny and uh, Provarov, for sure. Absolutely.
2: And aside from Carter Hart, I think those were like the two biggest finds for Ron Hextall in his era here at, in drafting. So yeah. you get Travis connectney and I still wonder what his future is because of the Flyers' depth at right wing moving forward. Like, I wouldn't be actively be trying to trade him because he is on a great contract, five and a half million dollars for if he, even if he's just a 25, 50, 60 point guy, that's a very good value contract for what he is and especially the energy that he's bringing, the type of leadership that he's stepping into. I won't be rushing to trade him, but I wonder what you could get. And in terms of Ivan Provorov. like you guys mentioned going back earlier in our conversation, is that eventually something's got to give on the defense. Now, I was told a few weeks ago the Sandheim contract doesn't affect Provorov immediately, but he isn't a guy that's untouchable by any stretch. And I do think, and I've been told this several times, Is that they like the fact that for the most part they've locked in their defense now for the foreseeable future because I think since Chuck Fletcher got here he's been constantly trying to solidify that defense specifically on the right side you know he comes in here the first year he's here he brings in Niskanen and Justin Braun then last year he brings in Ellis and Ristaline and then this year he brings in Tony D'Angelo like if one thing i'll give uh, chuck fletcher credit for and obviously there's not a lot to give him credit for nowadays but it's the fact that he's brought in five top four right shot defensemen over the course of three summers which is or four summers let's say that's pretty damn impressive like right shot defenseman you know aside from a top six center is probably the most coveted position on the trade front on a year-to-year basis like we see teams overpay for right shot defensemen routinely Erica Branson just got a 4 by $4 million dollar contract. Yeah. Like, that should tell you all it is. Seth Jones is making $9.5 million dollars until the end of time. Like, right-shot defensemen are routinely overpaid and overvalued in the NHL because there's just not enough of them. There is just simply not enough right-shot defensemen. And Chuck Fletcher has f- continually went out and found these guys. And I think that now you they look at this team and they say, We've got Provrov, we got D'Angelo, we got Sanheim as our top three defensemen. Hopefully Tortorella could get wrist aligned to a point where he can be that number four guy. And I don't know if they're in a rush to break that up. Now, granted, on the left side, you have a lot of organizational depth. You have Cam York, you have Zamula. although I'm almost curious if they're trying to transition him to a right shot or to a right side D based on the way they've utilized him this year. You have Emil Andre like they have a lot of depth on that left side So it would stand to reason to speculate. Well, they just extended Sandheim by eight years and now you have all this depth or are you gonna try and move on from Provorov? but I still don't think that any of the defensemen they have on their roster or in their system maybe Tony D'Angelo because I think he's been excellent this year but I still don't think either any of these guys can play to the level that Provorov does both in terms of eating minutes and eating those minutes at a decently high level so i just i think that they really like the way or maybe not really like but they're finally content with the way the overall defense looks and i'm hesitant to assume that they want to break that up
0: i mean i wouldn't break anything up right now but i mean in terms of two three four years from now you really have to start thinking about what you're going to do especially on that left side like you said there's so much depth alongside that and do you think in the beginning of the year they really thought york was going to come in here and take take a spot and have provrov sanheim york to start out the season do you think like they were a little disappointed in the fact that they had to send him down
2: i think so i mean he's a guy that has a large pedigree and obviously i would assume there's a vested interest in him not only because he was the first first round pick of the fletcher flair Era, but also because you passed on Cole Caulfield and Alex Newhook and in a way Matthew Boldy to draft the guy. So, I mean, it doesn't look great right now. I'm telling you that. And I think that Cam York was a guy that they really thought was going to step in here, play alongside Justin Braun on that third pair, presumably get some second power play unit time. And he just wasn't good enough. And I do think that there is a bit of a um, misconception as to what Cam York is or what Cam York should be. And I remember Jason Martinez was talking about that he had heard from someone that there's still a lot of work to do with Cam York and that he maybe isn't a guy who is wheeling and dealing and going to be like, for lack of better terms, like a Shane Spear type. And... A lot of people want him to be that offensive defenseman, but I think the Flyers think that he's a bit too chill on the ice, yeah. and that they think there's room for him to get there. But they still think there's a lot of work to do in his game.
0: See, I, I've never thought he's been an offensive defenseman. Like if I look at Cam York, that's never been the been the title that I've thrown on him. I've always seen him as like a two way kind of cool, calm, collected, kind of coasting, like a chemo team and type of defenseman. I've never really labeled him as a guy that's going to go out there and put up points. I mean, I think he's a great uh, quarterback on the power play. And first of all, to start this conversation with him, I, defensemen in general just take a very long time to develop, and this kid's only 21 years old. People, I mean, people are going to have the call Phil versus York talk and all that bullshit. And I mean, you see it on the timeline now, but, I mean, defensemen, Take longer to develop. York is going to take longer to develop. But I mean, I sat on this podcast and talked to Danny, and you mentioned that the Flyers really expected him to come in and take a spot. I mean, I expected him. I mean, I, I sat on this podcast and I said, I if he's not on the team to start the season, something went wrong. Like something went very, very wrong. And looking back on it, something did go very, very wrong. He didn't win a spot. He looked bad. He didn't look, like, iffy or okay or whatever. He looked bad at, in training camp and then got walked into preseason. And that was kind of, like, the last straw, I guess, for him to kind of get yanked back. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just think he takes – defensemen in general just take a longer time to develop. So, I mean, you've just got to be patient with this kid.
2: Yeah, and I think there was also a sense of entitlement that rubbed towards the wrong way yeah. from what I'm led to understand. Because, look, he came in last year. He played well by all accounts. He was playing a lot on the top pair with Ivan Provorov on his right side. So I think that everyone kind of just assumed he was a slam dunk. And of all the guys, of all the younger guys who made the roster, like Lazinski and Frost and Allison and Tippett and Cates, I think for York was the one that everyone, and myself included, pegged as the guy who had a really high ceiling. Like, damn, he can come in here, maybe get a lot of, you know, five-on-five minutes, start producing on the power play, all this. And they just really thought he was too chill on the ice. And that's, that's really what it comes down to. And in terms of Caulfield, like, look, the guy is an exciting player. I live in Montreal. I see him up close. I see what he's done to this fan base. But we also have to understand that he's playing with Nick. Suzuki, who's a very good young centerman, which means a lot for wingers. And I don't know if Cole Caulfield in Montreal would be the same Cole Caulfield in Philadelphia. Like would Cole Caulfield playing alongside Scott Lawton be the same thing as Cole Caulfield playing <laughs> aside. And I love Scott Lawton. Don't get me don't get that misconstrued, but I think that we've even seen it now that since Scott Lawton's moved back to center, his game has dipped a bit. He is a much better winger, and the Flyers just desperately lack centerman. And I think that's why you've seen, even going back to last year with Mike Yo and now John Tortorella, why they've been so hard on a guy like Morgan Frost, because that spot is so wide open and they still haven't found a guy, specifically Frost, just because there hasn't been a lot of contenders for that spot, because every centerman Ron Hexall ever drafted was a complete bust. So it's been Morgan Frost's like I guess spot to lose for like three years now. But I think that's why you've seen Tortorello be hard on Morgan Frost because it's a position they desperately needed to kick in the ass of.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a that was a question that we were actually going to ask you about and the whole Frost and Tortorello back and forth kind of thing. And I mean, I... Everybody knows that listens to this podcast, that me and Danny are Frost guys. Like We believe in this guy's skill set. We do think he could potentially become a top six fixture in the NHL one day. But I do have mixed opinions on what and how he's been dealt with this year because I think that half the blame can be put on Morgan and the fact that he has not taken – Take Taking the reins and Ram with it. He definitely it and, hasn't. He and, and absolutely has He has not done anything to warrant more ice time. But then again, you look at the other side, Torrello says, I was told Frost is this offensive guy that can score goals, put up points, and do all those things. I haven't seen it yet. And I agree, he hasn't done that yet. He hasn't deserved more ice time to prove that, I guess you could say. But at the same time, you know the guy's skill set. You know what he can do. And I, I don't think they've put him in the spot besides, like, the first two games. I think the best linemates he's played with so far have been JVR and Tanner lazinski I mean, I, I think, arguably, uh, the Frost, Delorier, and lazinski line was the best line against Ottawa a couple games ago. And they were really good against the Blues again. But I, I think in terms of you know what you are expecting out of Frost, that's offense. So to get that out of him, I think you need to put him with – better players but at the same time i understand the fact that he doesn't deserve to play higher in that lineup because he hasn't really gone out and grabbed a spot and improved anything but I don't know, it's, it's, it's conflicting feelings on it because i'm honestly i'm tired of talking about it the kid's like 23 years old yeah. i understand like he's gone through some injuries he missed a year the shoulder injury was weird same injury that couture had almost a game before um and like, I, I do believe in his skill set. I think he could be a good player in the NHL. I think he's a winger. I don't think he's a center. I yep. think he's a winger. But, yep. um, yeah, it's just I'm just wondering what you think about that.
2: I, I love the fact that you say he's a winger because I know everyone hates L.A. Vigneault here. Um, and maybe it's just because we're both from Quebec, so I have some kind of allegiance to him. But he absolutely need to be fired, I will say that. But I think that to this day... Av was the guy who best utilized Frost Absolutely. because do you remember whenever Av had Frost, to be okay, he's going with Giroud and TK, he's going yes. with Giroud and Atkinson. He didn't care, and I think Alain Vigneault wasn't a developer. He literally used guys how he thought they could help him in that moment at that night. And I thought that when Frost played under Av, and he played left wing with Giroud or whoever he was, Voracek at times as well. He looked good offensively. Was he a defensive stalwart? No, he wasn't going to win a, a Selkie by any stretch. So once Yo came in, Yo really showed him that tough love, right? And Yo basically sent him to the AHL like what twice. And by the time he came up, I thought he finally fixed his game a lot. And I think I'm I have mixed feelings on Frost because. I there was a part of me that kind of got a bit frustrated, just everyone thinking he was gonna be Claude Giroux 2.0 before we <laughs> have, have even saw him. So I kind of started out a bit behind the eight-ball with that. But it was also because I have to give like I have to admit that he hasn't had an easy road to develop. He was developing at the pro level right as COVID hit. He dealt with a large amount of injuries, and then when he did come out, come up it was a dysfunctional team with coaching changes yeah. and i think that there is something to be said that they want frost to be something that he's never going to be and i do think that that is kind of like well you have to kind of accept what a guy is at a certain point and move on yeah you just kind of been in-
0: saying about danny barriere i'm not saying for morgan frost is danny rare by any stretch of the mean but you have to start playing these players the way, the way their skill sets are set up. Like, Danny Briere was never going to be a defensive stalwart, but you didn't care because he was producing offensively. And that's the way they need to kind of deal with Frost and put him in those spots to produce offensively. Like, obviously he can't play with Sean Couturier right now, but him on Sean Couturier's wing with, like, Kenechny or Tippett would be a really, really, really fun line to watch. But obviously we can't watch that. But I think you just need to put him in spots to succeed offensively. And I think that starts with being on the wing, but I don't think they're going to do that because of the center depth that they lack. And Yeah, that's the he, issue. he sat against Toronto, right? Yes. that was the game yeah. against yeah. the lineup. And I think that was a—I uh, I mean, I don't think it was on purpose because of it was like a kind of hometown reunion kind of thing, but I, I do think that kind of rubbed—not rubbed Frost the wrong way—but he was like, "Damn, like I that it, it could be taken away from me that fast." Because his family was there; his dad was in the stands. So yeah, well, his response has been a little better since then. Oh, Yeah. Arguably Very his, good game against Ottawa. Arguably his two his best two games of the season. I know he scored two goals against the the Devils in the home opener at the season opener. But I mean, I think his game against uh, the Blues was really good uh, with the Laurier. I mean, you're going to get so far producing offensively with him. Um, he should have had an assist on that nice play in the wall, Deke the guy out of his skates. Really nice edges. Fed Braun on the point, and Braun hit the uh, post. I think he's been playing really well, but I, I he needs to be playing with better players. Like, that's what Morgan Frost's skill set brings, and I think maybe putting him in the center between Cates and, and Fairby would be a nice little line, but like it just doesn't seem like Tortorella wants to mix up those top two lines right now. So maybe him and Sedlak would be cool.
2: Yeah, well, like, th- like there's certain things that I don't understand. Like, for me, like, and I love Scott Lawton, but, like, I can't justify in my head why Lawton is on the top power play and Frost isn't. Like, for me, like, the power play should have Frost on it because I think if when he's able to create offense from a stationary position in the offensive zone that's his best quality particularly on the wall which stands to reason to your point that he's a winger and now look I, like in terms of Nick Delaurier I do think that Delaurier is a lot better of a player than people give him credit for like in terms of fourth liners I don't really think that he's bad at all like no, I think I've he's loved. generated good sh- I've, I'm sorry, yeah I'm sorry. he could play yeah, I'm sorry no go ahead I'm
0: sorry to cut you off but I mean I have I mean, I've talked a lot of shit on Delaurier I mean I still think the signing is fucking brutal if you look at it which is fair which is but fair the player and the like the the role that he plays he plays to a T. he really does like you said as a four flying player as an aggressor kind of like a bodyguard out there i think he's been perfect i like great him
1: for, great for the locker room yeah, too, right? i like, like him yeah i was listening to him on nasty knuckles talk about uh his early relationship here with wade allison how he he's really enjoyed like getting to know him it's just it's so big to have it's just the impact he could have on the room and the young guys and just giving them a little more chip on their shoulder
2: the only problem with that signing was the fact that that's not a signing that you make when you're in a position like the flyers like i said it from the beginning delorier for me made a ton of sense for a team like toronto that's a team that i think could have really used the nick delorier because if you look at teams who are contending for a cup they always go out and overpay a guy like this. Like is it a coincidence that Ryan Reeves who makes the same AAV as Delorie has bounced from St. Louis to Pittsburgh to Vegas to New York. You've seen like Matt Martin makes almost the same amount of money. You see like I was told last week that the Calgary Flames want to bring back Milan Lucic. Like there is a room for players like yeah. this. Patrick Bar- and even Patrick Maroon, and again, like you have to be able to skate a shift as well. Like I think Delarue is a better hockey player than Ryan Reeves. I think he's a better hockey player than Pat, uh, Matt Martin. But again, the term was kind of egregious, especially on that earlier that day. You said you couldn't afford Johnny Gaudreau, but then so the optics were terrible for sure. Brutal. But to but to to bring it back to Morgan Frost is that I, I think, and this is mostly speculative, mm-hmm. but I think they are scared to play him in the top six because they think he'll get crushed against higher competition in a two-way game, which I don't think is it entirely fair because I think he's done a very good job to improve his defensive game. I, I think his defensive game is vastly improved and he's no no not a liability by any stretch. But I think what their issue is right now, and I can't say this for certain, but just kind of piecing it to t- together, things I've been told, is that They want it to get to a point with Frost where he can be a solid D player, but also produce the offense. And again, I'm not entirely sold on that because we use the Danny Breer example. Breer was never a great defensive player, but is Frost sealing a 65, 70 point guy like Breer was? So I think it's kind of like... Like, we're seeing that with Konechny right now. Like, Konechny, I don't think, is a good defensive player by any means, five on five. I think if, yeah, if you look at his like defensive metrics, it's among the worst of the team. But when you're scoring a point per game and you're effective every shift and you're leaving it all out there, you can live with that. I think with Frost, it's kind of like he, he kind of just exists, if that makes it like, if that makes sense. Like, he kind of is just there and given what he's supposed to be. They don't want him to just exist and you know, I've been told that like not that he sulks But he really suffers with lack of confidence and he gets down on him uh, down on himself And especially a coach like Tortorella like that's something that like and maybe this is a bit archaic But that's like a sign of weakness like you don't want to Like trust a player or put a lot of responsibility on a player who struggles with self-confidence yeah. but again, I do think a lot of that is the fact that that he's been kicked in the nuts so many times when he doesn't, you know, when he blows one defensive zone coverage. Yeah. So I do think that there is almost like something about Frost that like kind of rubs some coaches the wrong way. But then again, I say I look how Av used him, and under Av, it was always he got that regular shift, he played on the power play, he played with Giroux. But for whatever reason, they're steadfast on making him a centerman, and it's just. I don't know if there's a path for him consistently on this team because, A, the coaches don't trust him enough to play him in those top six roles or give him that top power play time, but also because the player hasn't done enough individually to force their hand. Because I look at a guy like Wade Allison, who's been challenged a lot by um, by uh, uh, torts uh, recently as well, and I kind of dubbed him as a bull in a china shop, that sometimes like his over energy gets him into problems. But I think after being challenged and he played, how long was he with Sedlak and Delore? It felt like for a big stretch. And now he's gotten his his game to a level that now he's playing with Lawton and Faraby in the top six yeah. because individually he made the most out of playing with Sedlak and Delorier. He was he got his individual game to a point that it justified Tortorella to bump him up, and I think that's what they're looking for with Frost.
0: See, that's a great point, because that's what me and Danny just got done saying before we hit record. We really think this is John Tortorella trying to build Frost up from the bottom, trying to build his game up from, the, from doing the little things on a four-flying kind of a role, and being hard in the corners and, and coming out of the corners with the puck because that's something that Rocky Thompson touched with Jason. Uh, what's his last name? I don't want to butcher Jason's last name. Martitis. Martitis. Uh I, I listened to his interview with uh, Rocky Thompson maybe a week a week or a week and a half ago, and uh, Rocky mentioned uh, in that San Jose game that Frost won a battle in the corner against Tommy's Hurdle, and Tommy's Hurdle yep. is a very solid, very solid player, and Frost won a defensive. Corner battle with him and, and exited the zone and I think that that's that's a, that's the thing that he's really improved on like you said uh, since two three years ago so I mean I th- me and Danny think this is him trying to build his game up from the fourth line do the little things right and that's what he's done he's I think I think the fourth line has arguably been the best line in the last two games in that Ottawa game definitely in that Ottawa game and then in last uh, last game against St Louis I think you could argue. That they were, I mean, they've been impressive. So, I think hopefully this is uh Torrello trying to get Frost's individual play up a little bit because I mean, whether you think Frost is a bust, whether you think Frost could be a top six guy in this league, whatever you think, I think everybody can sit here and agree that Frost's best thing that he brings to a hockey team is his hands and his hockey IQ, and that best suits in the top six. I mean, I don't think that's a, a, a crazy thing to say. I'm not some hockey wizard saying this stuff
2: yeah no you're absolutely right and i do think it's gonna to have to come to a point here where you accept what he is and look maybe i'm wrong maybe they they finally they they crack the code on this guy and he becomes like a 55 point centerman who can play as your 2c and be responsible at all ends of the ice but i don't know if you're always you're gonna be able to have your cake and eat it too with frost it feels like he's either gonna be like an all offense winger or he's going to be a decent two-way centerman, but he's not going to give you the points that you really want from this guy. And to be honest, like, I know everyone wants that 200-foot player, but, like, you know what? You could go find those anywhere. Give me the guy that's going to score points. Dude, especially- we have, like 18
0: of them. We have, like, 20 exactly. of them. How many more do we want? We have Cates. So we have a Walter, We have Hayes. We have Couturier. Like, holy fuck. Just give me a dude who just... Produces offense. Who produces sick passes? Who produce? He's a playmaker. I don't give a fuck about two-way play. We have like a million of these players. Noah Case is a guy who's a two-way player. Lawton. I mean, I've, I've just named them. It's so annoying. Like get, like you just said, give me a guy who just produces offense. Who gives a fuck if he isn't that bad, it, it, that good the other way? You have eighteen other guys who are good that way. I, it, it blows my mind. It, it really does.
2: And that and that's the problem with the team, I think, is that they're trying to insist with it. Like, I've said it b- back to last year, is that it felt like Mike Yo told him, just like, we need you to be this, and if you can't be that, we have no use for you. I can't say that for certain, but based on the consistently on how they've used him, even now with Tortorella, there's something about him that I think rubs has rubbed these coaches and maybe the management the wrong way in terms of them and i think it's the confidence and that's one thing that when you're a pro athlete if you struggle with confidence like it is going to be very very tough for you like hell you go play in a beer league game as a goalie if you struggle with confidence you're going to let in a few stinkers you know what i mean like it's in all walks of life when you're confident in yourself it translates through your ability to succeed at whatever action you're doing or whatever task you're doing and i think that he's a guy and that's not all on him because he has been dicked around injuries covid all that i get it but that's the one thing about frost is just like look they're dicking you around they're playing with you deloria and lazinski they're playing you only 10 minutes a night at 5 on 5 yeah it's bullshit but show us why it's bullshit because yeah. when i watch him against the rangers i was just like dude like you deserve to be sat against toronto and i'm not saying that's all your fault I do think that you can only do so much. Like, in terms of his big point total, I don't blame him that he's only scored two goals and one assist this season, and both those goals came in the, in the season opener. Mm-hmm. I don't care about that because he's playing in a disadvantageous position. He's, playing a, he's starting a lot of his shifts in the D zone. He's not getting the best line mates. He's not playing a lot five on five. But what I want to see is your underlying process on an individual basis improve i want you to actually show that effort like you did against san jose and i think consistency and his confidence is the biggest thing working against morgan frost
0: i think that was perfectly put i have nothing to add that was beautiful Spe- speaking
1: of confidence it appears uh owen Tippett is getting more confidence lately uh, i thought he played his best game to date against the st louis blues and it really seems like him and connecting chemistry is starting to come along do you guys see this like our 1-2 punch, given all the injuries that we have here?
2: Yeah, I I mean, Owen Tippett is a guy that, you know, uh, some people took issue with that, where I said that he had a 25-30 goal ceiling. That's not what I think he's going to project to. I think that's his ceiling. I think 20-25 to 25 is more a reasonable like neighborhood for where Tippett would fall. He gives me a very... Um, Joffrey Lupul-esque vibe about him like that's like the kind of vibe I've gotten from Owen Tippett and look He has a very high shooting percentage right now. He's shooting at almost 19 percent I think his career shooting percentage is eight So even if let's say you want to split the difference a bit and he comes in around 12 I think he would be pacing for about that 20 to 25 goals because right now three goals, seven games, that's a 35 goal pace. Obviously he's not a 35 goal score in the NHL, but he's always been a volume shooter. And I was speaking to a Western conference GM about two, three weeks ago. And he was telling me that when he scouted Tippett way back when the thing that was almost kind of like a detriment to him or a detriment to scouting him was that he was such a volume shooter and when he turned pro he had such a hard time converting and when a guy shoots as much and generates as much as Tippett has and we even saw last year like he was shot out of a cannon when he joined the flyers last year generating the most out of any flyer but when it's not converting and you're generating that many chances it kind of makes you be like okay well is this guy just going to kind of screw me in the end because i'm just waiting for them to go in but he can't bury them but now that he's actually burying them, and I think he's playing a good two-way game as well, I think he's looking really good. And the fact that he's been playing on the left wing, I think opens up a lot of doors specifically for himself in the Flyers lineup and for the coaching staff because they're they're loaded on that right side. You know, you have Konechny, you have Allison, Atkinson if and when he returns, you have Tyson Forster, you have Bobby Brink, you know, maybe just a fourth line guy, but you have Zade Wisdom. The Flyers are loaded on that right wing. So for Owen Tippett, if he's able to stick on the left wing, and especially as a guy who is a shoot-first type of player, as a left winger on that off wing, it could be... Very advantageous for him, and it's nice for him turning that good underlying process into actual raw goals and raw production. Because look, it's great to be a good player in terms of possession and this and that, and you do all the little things right. But as we've learned with JVR, I don't give a shit that you're good, that your course is good, and you generate more than you yield. But when you make seven million dollars, I want you to put you know actual production in net. And I think that Owen Tippett is a guy that was kind of starting to feel, make some executives feel like, okay, he's going to generate a lot, but that's not helping us on the score sheet. But now recently and in recent games, you know, five points in seven games, I think he's finally starting to translate that good underlying process into raw raw production.
0: We really almost went an entire episode without mentioning JVR. Damn, that was, (laughs) god damn, that was close. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, I think Tippett, I don't even think he's been playing that much different from last year. Like, I think the shots are just going in now. Like, I, like he was never going to shoot the percentage that he was shooting last year because it was so low. And I think he's finally starting to him back to a normal shooting percentage. Um, because I, I think the two way game has been there since he's come on. Uh, maybe the defensive game has improved a little bit, but in terms of an all around game, like you said, I mean he came into the the season when he got traded here last year firing. Like he he was. Uh, shooting in all cylinders, so um, I, I I think he's looked the same, but now it's the process is a little bit different, and the, the, obviously the results are the the goals are going in. Like he's getting the bounces. That his last goal. That, that's all you need to know about how his luck's turning right now. Like his puck luck right now is is pretty good, so it's it's, yeah. it's exciting to watch. This is really at 74 minutes. Damn, we've been talking for a while.
2: Hey, time flies when you're having fun, boys. Yeah, it does.
1: <laughs> Danny, Game against columbus in yeah. about 50
0: minutes right yeah 609 yep
1: i guess i guess we should wrap this up soon yeah yeah definitely wrap it up anthony how much longer we got you for man
2: <sighs> whatever you want i got another five ten minutes i think i'm good for it if you have any questions i've had a lot of fun talking with you boys honestly it's nice to talk to some people on Twitter who aren't completely out of their fucking mind. That's nice. It's a nice change of pace. I agree,
1: because there is a lot of people on the timeline that...
2: The amount of people I have to mute, I have to mute is just... It's insanity. But, you know, but yeah, if you guys got any other questions, fire away. I got uh, five, ten minutes on my hand. Wait,
1: so...
0: I'm sorry, Danny, go ahead. I
1: was going to say, let's talk about the game then. Columbus, obviously not off to a good start. I actually... They were kind of a sleeper team for me going into the season. That has already backfired on me. They're three and nine. Gudreau has nine points in twelve games. Voracek uh, has six points in eleven games, and it doesn't seem to be going too well over there in Columbus. Um, what are you guys expecting out of tonight here, Carter Hart? And well, there. I mean,
2: uh, I believe Carter Hart's gonna play. I think he went on the trip with them. Like, look, I, I'm Columbus is a team. Like, you look at their bottom six, or even everyone aside from their top forwards. Like, there's a lot of guys that you don't know there. And, you know, you were expecting a guy like Kent Johnson to crack the lineup, potentially be the centerman for Goudreau and line A. He hasn't done that yet. Cole Sillinger playing on their third line. You have a defense that, I mean, aside from Zach Wierenski, there's a lot to be desired there. Gavrikov's okay, but he's had a tough start to the year. Like I said before, you give Erica Branson that lucrative contract. And they're fighting injuries too. Like, you don't have the young defenseman in Botquist. Jake Vorchek is out. So, I mean... This is a team that obviously was kind of a sleepy, sexy team going in because you had Goudreau. What was he going to mean for Line A? You had a few young centermen and Johnson and Cylinder. What could they make for the team? You had Zach Wierinski fresh off that massive extension. And you kind of lose track that this is a team that, is was is i don't really know what they're doing but they were theoretically in a rebuild last year when they moved on from seth jones and they got that very good lucrative return from the chicago blackhawks but then they signed gaudreau to a big contract they bring in erica branson on a 16 million dollar contract and you wonder just what the hell they're doing so i mean this is a team that i think is kind of lost right now they're kind of just out there in obscurity they don't have a whole lot going on And i think that this is a game that the flyers should try and pick up because they have a decent stretch of easier games coming up but then after that it gets harder and harder so i mean if i'm if i'm tortorella i'm really pushing to go in here and get a win on the road
1: yeah Yeah, to what you said about the easy stretch um i was looking at the schedule the other day and i was thinking the same thing i mean it goes columbus then ottawa at home dallas at home that's that's kind of tough but it's definitely not as tough as say like a Tampa and then Columbus on the road again. So um, definitely a good opportunity to start trending in the right direction and maybe start getting some games where we outchance the team and start feeling good about ourselves. Uh, yeah, I agree, man.
0: Like you said, I mean it's a good it's a good chance to build off a game where you outchance, outshot, and outperformed a team for the first time this year. So if they can do the same thing they did with St. Louis and look good and out-skate and out-shoot a team, that, that'd be nice if they could go back-to-back doing that. So, I'm excited. This is another team that hasn't been playing very well, so it's another chance to kind of pounce on a team that's kind of injured right now. So, I'm excited. I feel like we never play well in Columbus. Like, I hate that fucking cannon. I hate everything about the, the camera angle that's involved when we watch these games in Columbus. I hate the camera angle in Florida as well, but I, I hate everything that has to do with games in Columbus. So, I mean, I'll obviously be watching, but... Uh, it should be fun I, I feel like we've gotten like two games a week like what the fuck's going to be going on with all this
2: <laughs> well I mean they have played the least amount of games in the Eastern Conference if I'm not mistaken well, of course they have Of course they have. <laughs>
1: and it's like when they play them right it'll be like a back to back and then they're off for four days <laughs> yes. it's like why not just like get a day off in there
0: <laughs> back to back and I'll see you in fucking a week Really well,
2: that. it's true. They they've had a lighter schedule, but then after that, they have eight games in two weeks. So I mean, it's going to pick up here, and I, they have a good amount of stre- they have a good stretch here to really make up points. Where I mean like aside from Boston and maybe Calgary, but even Calgary's been stumbling a bit here. They have like a decent amount of like weaker teams for lack of better terms. You know, Washington has not been good, Pittsburgh's not been good so i and you know you look at this team and i don't see like a 10 game losing streak in this team because of john tortorella so even if they aren't a playoff team when all is said and done and maybe they aren't even on the bubble when all is said and done, i think it's going to take until like february or something between before this actually falls off the rails if at all because their underlying process wasn't that great to start the year and as you guys mentioned after the last two games they played specifically against st louis two nights ago it's a very good opportunity to really start building on something here so if anything it would stand to reason that their process is only going to get better as we move deeper into the season
1: that's kind of how i'm starting to feel i feel like throughout the beginning when we were winning games i was trying to temper my excitement my expectation part of that's just because of the ptsd of being a flyers fan but Fair the enough. The more and <laughs> more you see them putting this out, and the more and more I watch John Tortorella in the media, and I'm impressed with some of the things he's saying. I'm and the way I see Carter Hart performing, I just I, I really feel like, um yeah, we're in for a, a fun year, a fun watch year.
2: Yeah, I think it's going
1: playoffs. Come the process is going to be fun,
2: and it's different, right? Like I like. Look, I love Giroux, and I think that Giroux and even by extension Jake Vorchek were really kind of hard, were wrong done here, or however you want to say it. I'm sorry, not good with analogies. They They didn't get a fair shake here, let's say, by Ron Hextall, but I'm so happy I don't have to see those guys jump over the boards anymore. It's just, it's a breath of fresh air, and even to an extent, it's nice to see Sean Katorian out there. It's like, it's such a fresh product. And it just feels different for the first time probably since like 2012 when they moved on from Richards and Carter and they brought in guys like uh, who they bring in, Yager and Lilia and Talbot and Voracek and Simmons all those years ago. And I just think that even though the team may ultimately not end up being a playoff team and you could hear people bitch and moan that, oh, they should just tank for Bedard and this and that it's still been a more enjoyable product to watch because it's finally something different as opposed to the prior eight, nine seasons.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's incredibly refreshing. It almost makes you feel like it's long overdue.
0: Should have been done way before this point. Yeah, I mean, me and Danny just got done saying a couple days ago that we felt that as much as we love G, that the Flyers around G kind of seemed like they played behind G instead of with him. Yeah, it just
1: ran dry. It just ran dry, man. It ran its course and... It was absolutely time. We'll always love G. We'll always love what he's done here. And like you said, we'll always feel like the organization didn't put him in the best opportunity to succeed here. But with that being said, yeah, it does definitely, especially now, feel long overdue.
0: It was time. Definitely a time to see who can step up and take the next era of the Flyers into – us into the next era of the Flyers. Yeah, that opportunity
1: is refreshing, man. You can just see it on the players. Like, you look at a guy like Connectney; Like, he has an opportunity – all, all of them do. All of them have an opportunity to step yeah. up and really stamp their mark as be clean, a future piece of this clean franchise. Clean
0: slate for sure, bro. Absolutely. Yeah, but, and,
2: uh, and yeah. it's nice to – it's just – and even with G, like I thought like the 2019-20 season was kind of your last kick at the can with that group of players – because it's the first year of Chuck Fletcher, you bring in L.A. Vigneault, you bring in Niskanen, you bring in Braun, you bring in Hayes, you get some insulation for that top-end talent, which they had at that time. Like, I think it was still fair to say that going into 2019-20, Giroud and Vorchek were still higher-end players. Like, I think Giroux had, what, 85 points in 18-19, Vorchek was around 70, if I'm not mistaken. So it made sense to give them one last kick at the can, but after 1920, I think it was long gone in trying to win with that group of guys.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And it seems it's just even more clear now given the results of the last couple of years. But um, that's going to be all for this one, episode 87 of the Liberty Yell. Yo. Thank you so much, Anthony. It was a lot of fun, man. Yeah,
0: thank you, yeah. man.
2: Hey, man, had a blast, and uh, let's do it again sometime soon.
0: We're always down.
1: Absolutely. You can <laughs> follow him at ademarco25 on Twitter. You can follow us on all socials at the Liberty L. Me, at TLY Danny on Twitter, and Chris, at Chris Stumps. Go Floor.